everyone. Thanks for taking the time to stop by the campfire. I'm your host, Cole Kelly. Summer camp provides everyone involved a great deal of fun and a surprising amount of learning. Yes, it's actually true. You can have a blast while learning things that will help you later in life. It doesn't matter whether you're a seven-year-old first-time camper, a 16-year-old CIT, a college-age staff member, or a year-round professional with more than two decades under your belt. There's always a lot to learn at camp. The idea behind this podcast is to shine a light on some of the lessons learned from summer camp and to figure out how we can apply them with our lives back home. I hope you'll hear a few bits of summer camp wisdom that you can put to work immediately in your daily life. One of the great aspects of running a summer camp is getting to know such wonderful people. It doesn't matter whether they run a sleepaway camp or a day camp, a profit camp or a nonprofit camp, a religious or a secular camp. It seems that everyone I meet is always happy to talk and share and serve one another. No one that I know exemplifies these ideals more than my friend, Adam Baker. I first met Adam 11 years ago when I attended my first Wayne County Camp Alliance meeting. I didn't know it then, but I believe it was actually his first meeting as well. Since that time, Adam has become the president of the Wayne County Camp Alliance and has been a calm and capable leader for everyone at his camps, which are Blue Ridge and Equinunk, as well as for everyone else in Wayne County. You're about to hear a wide-ranging conversation that includes a lot of lessons from growing up in camp, leading and learning through COVID, and so much more. So without further ado, here's my friend, Adam Baker. Adam Baker, welcome to the campfire. Awesome. So happy to be here. Good afternoon. <laughs> so I know you are no stranger to campfires. Um, you are the director of, of fabulous camps. How did your your life in camping start? Sure. So Equinoc and Blue Ridge has been in my family since 1986. I am so unbelievably fortunate to have, after I'd grown up at day camp on Long Island and joined sleepaway camp, it was a sleepaway camp that I grew up at, became the sleepaway camp that my family bought and owned and, and has been running since 1986. Wow. And I think I'm, I'm one of the incredibly fortunate and, and lucky ones that to have parents who, who sort of see the importance of a family and, and tradition and continuity within our business. And at the same time, wanting me to have the camper experience. And then as a counselor, expecting more of me, asking more of me, providing more opportunity to do tours, work on operations. I had a background in emergency medicine. I was an EMT for many years, paramedic, volunteering. And then to bring some of that up to camp and they sort of gave me a nice sort of leadership path forward and to get involved in a different aspect of camp. Is sort of like prove myself independently of being Charles Richard's son while up in camp. And so in these, as these conversations evolved over the years with my mom and my stepdad, Richie, it was, hey, you got to sort of make this decision. We know you love working with us. Of course, you love Equinox and Blue Ridge. You've got to figure this out. You, you talk about a career in camping, but do you want that because you love camping or you love Equinox and Blue Ridge and you are not going to figure that out here? So it was there encouragement, dare I say, nudge a little like kick in the backside. I said, go out there, Adam, you've got to get this other outside experience. And that then left, that led me to leaving Equinox and Blue Ridge for was really four years and three summers uh, to uh, join the day camp board. What was it like basically not being kicked out of your camp, quote unquote, but sure. what was that like from a, you know, a, a parent child standpoint and a professional standpoint? And then what was it that then said, yes, okay, this is, this is my profession. This is what I want to do with my life. It was a little bit of a pit in my stomach, knowing that in order to understand 
if this is what I wanted, I had to experience it and I had to experience it elsewhere. Cognitively, I knew that. Emotionally, very difficult to leave my community, my camp family, my best friends at the world in the world, all still working alongside me at Equinunc and Blue Ridge. And that's one of those real growing up moments that we have right in our early 20s that we're going to have to make that transition. And it happened in a very, a very nurturing way. So that was that first reaction that I had. And then now go back to sort of like it was four years, four years, three summers later. And I was visiting the really the principal owner of this group at his camp in upstate New York. I would visit their day camp. I would go up to the sleepaway camps on weekends to learn more about the camps within their network. And the camp that I visited was so spectacular in terms of the people, the culture, and what was taking place there. Um, he and his wife's leadership there, the team around them, the children, we went to some morning lineups and uh, it was a Saturday, went to a great all camp show that night. And I had the same feeling that I, and the same feelings were like my heart swelling. Wow, this is amazing. These children are great. The staff were great. It was the same feeling I had at Equinox and Blue Ridge. And that was the moment. That was the moment that I knew that, yes, this sort of what I've always felt about Equinox and Blue Ridge and family and childcare and tradition and culture, it doesn't just exist in my mind and my heart because this is my family's camp and where I grew up it can exist in any really well-run intentional community environment. Mm-hmm. So I had this great visit at the sleepaway camp. And before driving back to East Hampton, I went back down to like route 17 or, you know, the New York state Thruway, And instead of taking a left to go to New York city, I actually took a right, um, went up North, got off like by Hancock, Hancock highway, not 191, headed South, took a left turn into Equinox. I just showed up there. <laughs> like, what are you doing here? And I said, I just had the most amazing weekend. And I'll share with you with Jay Jacobs in the Timberlake. Yep. And I said, I had the most incredible weekend. And I know that it's not just Equinox and Blue Ridge. It is what we as a profession do, what mm-hmm. the culture of our profession is, who the people are. Mm-hmm. And I would mean nothing. It, it could not be more wonderful, more special for me if I were to return home and continue to learn from you and work by your side and continue my career at Equinox and Blue Ridge. And that was just a fabulous weekend in, in August of 2007. I think that was wow. August of 2007. And then now 2008, you jumped back into Equina Blue Ridge? Or? Yes, yeah, it was, it was fall actually of 07. Yeah. Fall of 07. Wow. That, what a wow. great journey. Well, so it's, it's interesting to me, you know, we've known each other for a long time and yet I'm, I still go back to that conversation we had on the escalator down at Tri-State uh, a couple of years ago where I said, so how'd you get into yeah. camping? And you were like, you, you don't know? I'm like, no, I honestly don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I, the look on your face was hilarious. <laughs> cool. I'm so fortunate. I'm so incredibly lucky that I, I found a passion I love, and and the opportunity was there to do it alongside of my family because of what my stepdad and then my stepdad and mom, what they did before me and the path that they created. Look, Richie bought Equinox and Blue Ridge in 1986, and really sort of on the on the cusp of, um, if not financial ruin, certainly disaster. And the camp itself is very dilapidated. And Richie's a dreamer. All right, Richie is um, a college ball player, never went to camp growing up. Mm-hmm. He was a college professor, a doctor in education, and then started working as a baseball counselor. And then he did seven years at three different camps. So for 21 years, he worked in camp. And then the opportunity came about to look at and then become a head counselor and potentially invest and then ultimately buy Equinox and Blue Ridge. And that's what happened back in 86. Wow. And he had an extraordinary vision of what the culture and what the camp could be. 
And even when I first toured camp in 1990, camp was still pretty run down at that point. Sure. There was the magic was there. And the magic was the people who were there and the people, right? Always about the people, the who. And Richie's ability to share his dream. And that was what really sort of set off that course of the incredible growth of Equinox and Blue Ridge. And then many years later, um, my mom started working at the camp and then ultimately they got together and started a relationship. We got married and I was like in 2000 or something. <laughs> so just sort of a crazy turn of events, but it's, um, it's that idea of, op- you know, it's that idea of luck when opportunities sort of like meets preparedness. I don't know how much preparedness there was in this case, but it's <laughs> really, really wonderful. And to have worked with my parents for all these years, both as a counselor and now as a director and learn from them, there's just sort of great continuity in the culture and in our belief system. It's our belief system as a family mm-hmm. that's translated into the belief system and the culture of our camp. It's about values. It's about people and values. Yep. Without a doubt. It's funny. I had a number of great conversations with Jay Jacobs, um, who we've all learned a lot from. He's just been an incredibly generous you know, human, uh, certainly in the camp world, but he has owls all over his office. And he told me, you know, do you know why I have owls? And I said, no, why? And he said, well, it's because of who? It's, it's all about the who. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's one of the many reasons why I appreciate Jay. I truly see eye to eye with him on that one. I know it's sort of, um, there, there are a lot of different visuals in, in my in my office as well, but uh, in a lot of our insignia nice. now and some email signatures and a little bit of branding in camp, we owls have become a very big part of our culture. In fact, on our weekly campfire, we give owl recognitions. Mm. The owl recognitions are the who. It's part of our character awards and our leadership development. And we have a great Friday night program with E for Equinox, B for Blue Ridge Awards. But it's around the campfire that we give out these owl recognitions. And it's when other children recognize other children in the camp and their counselors for being that who, for being that pivotal person. And so it started the conversation with Jay in his office, surrounded by hundreds of owls, literally. Yep. Who is your basketball coach? Who is taking care of your maintenance team? Who is cleaning the septic plant? Who are cleaning the bathrooms? Who's serving the food? Who are your counselors? Who are your nurses? Who is your bunkmate? Who, who, who? Always about the people. And yep. that's, that's the basis of any culture. And yeah, Jay really uh, has, has uh, sort of uh, driven that in a little bit to me <laughs> as, as well. So I, I love the culture and the, well, you know, what an owl represents. It represents the people, the, the who. That's yeah, so funny, Cole. Yep, always. Yep. Uh, that's fantastic. So one of the, the who questions we've talked about a lot this past year has been our, our campers and our staff members. Yes. Um, because while we have had so many great memories in summer camp, you know, collectively, you know, of course, in the last two decades, um, we now are going into a situation where it's one of the more challenging experiences in the camp industry has really ever faced. Um, what what part of the last 18 months, I guess, well, really more like 15 months, have been most challenging to you? Okay, that's a, it's a really great question. And it will come back to the people and, and come back to the staff. But I could probably phrase it most broadly, uh, most broadly, excuse me, in that I and we have been living in a constant state, in a constant state of uncertainty. Mm-hmm. I think psychologically, emotionally, that has been one of the most challenging aspects of these last team, last 18 months. It is what will the guidelines be? When will the guidelines be released? What will our camper enrollment be? Will that camper enrollment maintain? What's starting to happen with our older campers? Why are they uncertain about coming back? Who will the staffing be? What will be the experiential impact of running camp in a COVID environment? And that state of uncertainty 
will be certain on June 27th when we open. That is a very long time to live with that. And as I have shared with our team time and time again, we will not get through this period and we will not be at our best until we accept that. That, okay, yeah, we are living in a state of uncertainty. That is the whole world right now. And the sooner that we can come to terms and accept it, the better that our internal sort of homeostasis will be. And therefore, the better camp will be because of it. So that has been the greatest um, psychological hurdle to get through. And I think we did that very well. That, that has been one challenge during this time. I also think time management. Time management has had a very interesting play on, on, um, on all of our lives this year, balancing work, balancing family, health, and safety. And I think part of that time management piece is the balance of focusing on what would be the normal preparations, all the parent phone calls, speaking with our children, and balancing that with preparing for what undoubtedly will be the most unique summer in <laughs> running a camp that any of us have ever had. So those are, those are probably two of the bigger challenges that I've faced. And then maybe internally as well, it's hard not to wonder what will our industry be mm-hmm. on the other side of this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The importance of camp and raising children the appreciation of that experience will staff return to want to be a part of that experience. Mm-hmm. How does it, it, we hear too many stories of too many camps who, who do not open this year in particular, a lot of our friends in the nonprofit space. Mm-hmm. And that's really concerning to, to us as, as educators, as, as good people and really believing in the power of the learning experience in camp and the social emotional growth. How many children have taken that, have lost that opportunity. So it's, is it, what does it mean for our industry? And, and very much at the same time, what does it mean for all of those children who don't have that summer home and that learning environment to go to? Um, yeah. And I, I give myself that space to think about it, to wonder about it, to be nervous about it, and also to think through solutions. And part of that solution, I think, is that for every single camp, this goes along with the rising tide raises all ships. Mm-hmm. The importance of this summer can't be overestimated. The yep. success, the health success, the safety success, unquestionable, but the experiential success and the cultural success of camp, I believe this is a pivotal point in our industry. This is very much about the experience we provide this year, but it really sets up 2022 and beyond. Yep. And I can't help but feel some of that pressure and that wonder from time to time. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I heard someone say the other night on, I think it was actually on the, the Tim Ferriss podcast, it's the founder of Lululemon. Sure, um, sure. And he had mentioned that a lot of times we set our goals based on the past rather than looking at the future and bringing that into the present, which I thought that's kind of an interesting way to think about it. Think about, right, where do I want in the future? What kind of experience, what kind of culture, what kind of industry do we want to help create in the future? All right, now let me create my goals on that rather than saying, right, well, I, I did all those bad things in the past. I want to change behavior. Now I want to look at it from a positive standpoint. This is where we need to get to. What's going to be my pathway there? So I thought that was a, a pretty interesting way to think about it. That is, it's, that is really insightful. And there, there's, a, there, there's a balance that we all, so it's a conversation that we all involve ourselves or involve ourselves with and choose to have in quote the off season and setting those goals and not just what next summer will look like but the next five years will look like and part of it I think does look to the past 
if we want to correct and how, what, what, what can we do better, right? In our own sort of like, uh, you know, spot analysis as we, we look past sure. and, and, and look forward. And I would agree with you. I don't know if enough of our planning focuses on how to achieve the vision of our futures right? rather than correcting our past. I, I, I would say that it's certainly part of my planning and our teams, but as you pose the question that way, I think that there's probably a greater balance of how do we take what we have and make it better mm-hmm. and improve upon the past and not necessarily reimagine and re-envision for the future. It's certainly part of it, but perhaps we'd all be better served if we put more of our attention or more of our attention into how we achieve the future. Yeah, well, you know, history rhymes. So, I mean, it, we're, we're all doomed to repeat it unless we know what's going on. So right. we, we do have to have that piece of it, but I, I really am a big proponent of the idea of vision casting, you know, where you've got to actually take some time, think about where you want to go, think about and imagine that future and then build the steps toward that future. Um, that really can, and that is one of the things, those are those stories that can inspire the people around you. Um, yes. things going. And that's the stuff that's great to, to talk about around the campfire. Cause Lord knows you, you get inspired sitting around the campfire talking with all the, the people around there. Oh, a- a- absolutely. And one of the pieces I love about a campfire, and I share this with our staff during orientation and two of and our campers a little bit later on that dating back to prehistoric times, right? around the campfire and that there's obviously tremendous intentionality in, in your part and why this is the name of the camp cast, excuse me, the, the podcast and how, how you bring people together and why, but it's how mankind has passed down the stories of our generations yes. and our history from how we gathered and how we hunted and how we lit a fire to keep the animals away and to cook our food and, and build our proteins and protect ourselves. And it was around those fires that story and history and culture was passed from one generation to generation. Yep. And Boy, to do that in front of a campfire and sort of share that with our staff that we are taking part in a ritual, a true ritual, being around a campfire and passing down the stories from one generation to the next. I think there's nothing more prehistoric, more magical, more inspiring and more humbling uh, than gathering around a campfire to, to share the stories of our past and the and visions for our future. Yeah. And I would posit this summer more than any other how necessary it is, especially for our kids. Yes. Yeah, the yes. connection again. Absolutely. Um, all right. So with all the stuff that we've had going on uh, and you mentioned time management, how do you decompress? Like, how do you, how have you spent the last 15 months and really more likely the last seven or eight, as we get close to realizing we're, we're going to open, mm-hmm. we can all work 24 hours a day if we wanted to in this industry. Yes. Um, but yet we're coming into a time at camp where we're all going to work 18 hour days, like literally at least 18 hour right. days. How do you decompress? How do you kind of come off of that? If I'm being honest, I don't have a good strategy for it. Okay. It is something I've given a lot of thought to, especially these last few months. Normally the springs are insanely busy, but it's sort of been like that since uh, (laughs) last spring. spring. (laughs) That's correct. And I don't have as strong of a mechanism as I would like for my decompression. And I recognize that. So what I have done is I put a lot of more thought of what I can achieve. And that is how I prepare myself of going into the day. Mm-hmm. I do have cutoff times for bed and, and really getting enough sleep. That, that's very important. I'm also a night owl. 11 o'clock, like I'll kick in, talk with my camp families. My emails are coming back at 11 o'clock at night. 
Yep. Um, I, I'm getting emails from you and others at like six in the morning. I wish I had that, right? You sort of get up and you go. Um, you'll get my emails between 11 p.m. and 1 a.m. That's when I'm like burning. Boy, that time in the camp office at night, I love it, right? Camp <laughs> quiet, no interruptions, you hit it. I also recognize that might not be the most healthy and I'm not allowing myself that decompression time from when I end that sort of camp work to when I can calm myself down and get a restful night's sleep. So what I've done is I've tried to set up the day well and the best I can. So right now in these last you know, in this last year or so, I will take three online morning fitness classes a week, either at 7 a.m. or 7.30. Mm-hmm. So I have my Monday, Wednesday, Friday that I know when I sort of, quote, punch in at 9 or some days 9.30, I'm, I don't feel badly about it. I don't sort of like, oh, I need to start at 7 a.m. No, if I, if I start at 9 or 9.30 mm-hmm. because I was up and I did an hour of fitness class and, and then had a nice breakfast and I read the paper, I'm putting myself in such a healthier mindset to start the day and to problem solve and to work through. That is what um, that's not only increases sort of my bandwidth, but the, the quality of the time and the work that I get done. So again, maybe not decompressing. It's how I set up that day. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then if I'm not in those fitness classes, I'll get a run in one or two days a week. That is just really lethargic for clearing my head and preparing for the day. When we were in an office, I would work, I would walk, excuse me, a mile back and forth to work every day from yep. my apartment to the office. So it had a, a very similar effect in the morning. That was my decompression at the end of the day. Music, podcast, that 18, 20 minute walk yep. right through the heart of Times Square of all places. That's not the most common place to go, especially during the holidays. Right. <laughs> that actually served as a, a very important decompression time. And it wasn't until this September that I realized the impact of not having that walk. So I really put my energy and focus how I can set my day up best. And it's also throughout the day, not only the pace, but having interaction with our team through Zoom and playing great music. That is, I, since I was a counselor in camp, the number one rule to clean up, there are two important, there are many rules for cleanup. Number one, okay, like no one likes doing it. Like, let's just own this. Like cleanup is not the best part of the day. Yep. Number two, great music. If you're going to inspire your campers to have an awesome cleanup, you have to have like killer country music going, serious rock and roll, Bruce Springsteen, Dave Matthews, throwing some Billy Joel and like a little Wynn Marcellus now and again, just so the kids nice. know what is that, right? Um, <laughs> but great music, whether we're in the office or in my home here now, always great music playing. And then I'll try and settle down with some nice jazz at the end of the day. So the tempo is slowing down. I have nice music going. So while I may still be working and tackling through email, I have some sort of nice like jazz or funk jazz playing. And that's part of that decompression strategy, but it goes throughout the day. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I tell you, how about you call? What's your, I'd love to hear your thoughts about music. What is your, what what advice would you have for me? What's your decompression? Well, so I love the fact that you have a routine and that, that the motion is the lotion. You know, I don't know if you've heard that before, but the idea of, I think so much of us get sedentary and get to the point that we just are so in our heads that we're not in our bodies anymore. And by moving our body, the thing that I've started doing lately has been CrossFit, which is at 47 years old is probably not a very smart idea. Um, but we've, I've been doing it for the last six months and I absolutely love it. And I start my day with it. And it's like you, I don't get in the office until eight uh, until nine 30 during the off season, quote unquote. Uh-huh. Um, but I come in with, such a better mindset. And with the pandemic and with, you know, frankly, it was, it's a little expensive on a monthly basis, but my wife looked at me and said, you have to do this. You're so much happier when you do this. And so I've moved up to camp and our little gym here has got just, you know, enough stuff for the CrossFit things that, that I need. Mm-hmm. I've been doing CrossFit here at camp and thank God my, my gym is telling me what I need to do on a daily basis. And I've just been sticking with it. So that helps. And then for me, my decompression is, oh, actually I got two things. So 
at night, the decompression is reading a book. Like right, right now I've got uh, Marcus Aurelius's meditations and Zen and the art, art of motorcycle maintenance sitting by my bedside table. So <laughs> every night it's, you know, probably 20 minutes of that to turn my brain off and then I go to sleep. But this was something that I learned from our mutual friend, Andy Siegel. Uh, a couple of years ago, after summer, we were playing golf. It was like a couple of camp directors got together, Matt Stoltz, me, uh, Ross Moskowitz, and Andy. And we we're playing. And I said, Andy, how do you decompress? Because I was interested. I was, it was, a, had been a hard summer. He uh-huh. goes, Cole, I take a nap every day. It's the best thing I've ever done. I was like, that, there's no way you take a nap. He goes, yeah. I go lay down. My dog lays down on top of me on my couch. I sleep for 20 minutes. I wake up. I'm ready to go. I was like, there's no way. Literally, Three weeks later, I get a note saying that a 20-minute nap is the Zamboni for your brain. Huh. I was like, okay. And the guy set up this whole system on how you do it. Uh, it wasn't Adam Grant, but it was someone like that. Okay. Um, and <laughs> I, the next day, I took a 20-minute nap. I woke up feeling so much better. So for me at camp, what I'll do is I'll get all the kids off you know, from, through lunch, through rest hour, and then from two to three, that's my time where I go back to the house and I read a little bit of a book. I, I will rest for 30 minutes and then I'm up and I'm ready to go until, you know, one o'clock that night. It's, wow. it, it was shocking. I don't know if it's the fact that, you know, now I'm getting older, I'm getting closer to 50 and I needed it, but I feel so <laughs> much better at camp. And Andy Siegel is absolutely the reason why I do that. So that's going to be, a, that, that is, that is something I'm really going to be thinking about. I, I've had those couple of days, especially in August, where I, I'm just going to sit down on the couch for a second. I wake up 20 minutes later, no intentionality to do it, but yeah. I wake up feeling like a million bucks. Yeah. There's, there's a, supposedly there's a mechanism in your body where if you sleep longer than 25 minutes, it's shifts you over to a dis- different system. So that's why you wake up groggy from, you know, hour, hour and a half, two hour naps. Right. But you wake up from a 20 minute nap. I love that idea. It's a Zamboni for the brain. It basically just covers over all the nicks and the scrapes and allows you to get going again. That's terrific. Oh boy. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to think about that maybe in August. Exactly. June and July, maybe August 15th. But, um, so I, I know you're, you're not looking forward to that, but what are you most looking forward to for the summer? Oh God, that's easy. That's the exuberance, the excitement of the children, quote, getting off the bus or in our case, getting out of their cars and getting back home to Equinox and Blue Ridge after being gone for two years. We know that feeling. Our head counselor, Gil, and I have this amazing tradition that sort of just happened organically. And he, our head counselor, Gil, is my group head when I was a 15-year-old. Come on. I, I have known him to in almost 25 years. Wow. And, um, and he's a terrific, terrific person, inspiration to me, a mentor. And he and I have this great moment when the last bus pulls in, sort of like arm in arm. And we walk from where our bus is loaded right onto the quadrangle where boys campus is. And we just sort of like, not like we do, we take that deep breath. Say, We're home. Like our boys are here, like camp is here. It's happening. That is the moment I look forward to most every single year. And that is just this crescendo of bus after bus and children getting and jumping off and seeing their friends and their counselors and hugging and the boys crying and the girls crying. I love it. It's going to happen differently, but it's going to be the same feeling. It's going to be the same experience, maybe over six hours instead of, uh, you know, an, an, uh, 45 minutes or an hour and a half this year. But it's going to happen. That is definitely what I look most forward to. And work in there and sprinkled in there are all these new children who are sort of like, wide-eyed that they're right that their their adrenaline system is flying right they're stepping into this new campus new environment and they're looking for comfort they're looking for someone to go over there over to them and, and give them a high five give them a little sort of like side hug and put your arm around their shoulder like 
Hey, welcome to Equinum. We're so happy you're here. This is your home. This is your summer home. There's something that is so um, inspiring about that and so comforting to the children and to, to pull them in because they don't know. They know that we're gonna, they're going to meet friends and they're going to do great activities. They don't really know what they're stepping into and the right. culture that they are becoming a part of. And so for those who've done this long enough, then yourself and your leadership team and, and, and my parents and our leadership team, we just sort of know that they're starting this extraordinary journey that has the power and for many really will change their life and perhaps the trajectory of their life. And that starts when they either get off the bus or, or this year when they get dropped off by their parents. There's something very I don't, spiritual. That actually might even be the right word. You yep. talk a lot about camps, about routine and about ritual. There's something that's sort of this ritual of arriving to camp, new camper, returning camper. That is that is definitely what I'm looking most forward to every year, especially this year. Yeah, definitely. I'll, I'll also, yeah, sorry. I'll throw in the, the campfires for all the reasons we talked about and passing of stories from generation to generation and the realization the staff have, particularly, particularly our new staff in all aspects of camp, the journey that they are on. They don't realize it. They don't quite realize how deep those friendships will be and the impact that summer camp and sleepaway camp will have on their lives. That's a pretty cool prog progression to watch as well. Oh, it's huge. Yeah, it's, it's so interesting to me. I tell families all the time, you know, you've had a good summer when your child shows up crying and when they're leaving, they're crying as well. You know, and it's funny, the staff go through the same process. The trying to get the staff on the bus to go back to the airports or to New York City the morning after camp is over. So camp, our campers leave, then our staff stay for another night and they help clean up and get things ready for uh, some fall groups. Sure. Um, and then the next morning at, at eight o'clock, they're all in the dining hall and we have 150 people hugging and crying and we cannot get them off camp. Like y'all, you're going to miss your flights. Miss your flight. <laughs> we got go. to do this. You know, we, we love you guys. We'll see you next summer, but you're going to miss your flight. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it is amazing. What, you know, I know the campfire is getting a little low here. So, but I, I really want to spend some time on this. We've all learned so much over the course of the last 15 months. Mm -hmm. What are, and you've learned so much in camp over, the, over your lifetime, but what are some of the lessons that you've learned or become aware of in the last 15 months that you think will, will change how you see the future and how you manage and how you run your camp? It's a fa fabulous question, Cole. Lessons that I, I try and be astute to, that I try and really pay attention to um, as I am learning them organically or as they are <clears throat> intentionally being spoken to me. One of the approaches that I've taken throughout all this, and if I may, I'll, I'll mention a few and I'll, I'll try and be succinct here. Hope is not a plan. Mm. And I say this to our staff during opening orientation, sort of a uh, old Deshuni Indian um, and the Native Americans as, as part of with the Lenape Indians specifically mm -hmm. and the cultural connection that we have with the land and the responsibility and the stewardship we have of the land and the, and the culture. And this idea that hope is not a plan is very important to me, that we, we are planners by nature and we work incredibly hard to prepare for the summer. We don't just hope it's going to go well. We're going to plan for it to go well. And if we have to pivot and we have to move a little bit, that's okay. We'll do that. And we'll be even if we don't follow our plan exactly, we've been so thorough in that planning. And we've learned so much in the process that will allow us to move with grace and intentionality as we start to make some of those pivots. It also goes in line with something my, my dad said to me when making our decision 
in a lot of conversations with my mom and my stepdad and also with my, my dad and my stepmom. And one of the things that my dad said to me very early on in the process, or very late actually, when I was sharing with him everything we were doing, and he's not involved in camp, he's a retired physician, but he's a, you know, an educated process driven guy also. And, you know, my, my parents, my mom and stepdad say, hey, you're like your process, we know your process, your process, your process. <laughs> and it's true. And one of the, one of the, um, one of sort of the things that he said to me that really stuck with me was that the quality of the decision-making process is independent of the outcome. Yes. The quality, the quality of the decision-making process is independent of the outcome. Yep. I took a lot of solace in that, knowing that we were bringing in the best experts, having the most thoughtful, intentional conversations and looking at it from all possible angles in particular, our decision to open or to not open camp last year. Mm-hmm. And while not everyone may have agreed with the outcome uh, in our decision not to open, I believe there was such integrity in the process and such thoroughness that I feel really good about it. And in fact, the outcome of our decision is in part reinforced by the quality of that process. So I, that, that is something that I that I've really sort of stuck to and that I, I really enjoy. And that leads to sort of the third piece. And I'm going to quote a friend of ours, uh, Bruce Lipton. Bruce is the operations director, as you know, from Camp Vermont. Yeah. Incredibly intelligent, inspiring, wonderful, wonderful man. And when we were talking last year about the opening and the closing of camp, and then some pivotal decisions this year, he said it then, he's repeated it a few times, which is this. He says, whatever decision you make, Adam, don't be driven by fear, rather be fueled by love. Uh, Whatever decision you make, don't be driven by fear, rather be fueled by love. Yeah. And that speaks to me as a person, how my parents have raised me, how my siblings, my younger sisters have helped raise me. I have an incredible family. I have six brothers and sisters, or brother and, and five sisters, uh, to my mom and dad, and then dad and stepmom and the whole crew, a little blended family. It's awesome. Yep. And four step siblings, the whole thing, but <laughs> it's, it's family. And these are the people who help us. And it was, it was the, the family and those people in my life who really sort of helped me see and understand fueling decisions by love rather than making them out of fear and the support and the understanding from my, my parents and my step parents and my sisters and half siblings and my step siblings. That is where my strength has come from. And I'll throw in my core group of guy and girl friends, most of whom are from Equinoc or Blue Ridge or Metro Camping and, yep. and our, our leadership team and the women and the men whom I work with to get to run Equinoc and Blue Ridge with, incredible people. And that is where I found that strength and that fuel of love to, to make a lot of the decisions that we have, have made and will continue to make and knowing they're not always going to be popular. And, and my dad, my stepdad, Richie, has said to me so many times, time and time again, here's another great lesson. Our, our beliefs, our values are most important when they are tested and unpopular. And that, that is something that he said to me, gosh, 20 years ago when I was working as a group head at Equinox. And, and that has really helped us drive the culture of Equinox and Blue Ridge about our values and our morals. And yet they are most popular. They are most, excuse me, most important when they are unpopular and yeah, when they are being tested. I yeah. think that defines a woman, that defines a man and how we not just speak to our values and believe in them, but really act on them. And they don't just guide our actions, they determine our actions. 
Yeah, there was, oh gosh, I can't remember exactly what my wife said. But she's the smart one. So she, she says a lot of smart things. I try to remember um, something about the difference between values and virtues and that virtues are what you believe in. Values are what you act out. Hmm. So is the idea of love, are you putting it into action? Then that's and in those moments of, like Richie says, of test, what are you actually doing? That's what you value. So are you receding? Are you defending? Are you protecting yourself? Or are you loving and putting out there and going forward? So I really like that. Virtues versus the difference between virtues and values. Thank you, Kate. Yeah. Like I said, she's a smart one. Well, Adam, man, look, it's, it's so awesome to have you around the campfire. It's funny. We've been friends and known each other for a long time. We've actually never shared a campfire yet. Uh, that actually might have to be something we do at a Wayne County uh, camp Alliance meeting where we actually have a campfire. Um, I, I would, I would love nothing more. And I think that as, as our friendship and colleagues and learning and growing with each other in the industry, because we, you and I really came into this industry as, as directors around the same time. Yes. And we've seen and been a part of a tremendous amount of change. And while I've said to you in, in private conversations, and I think worth sharing here as well, that has really fueled my excitement for the work that you and I will get to do together in these next three years as the co-presidents of the Wayne County Camp Alliance. And thank you again so much for <laughs> the conversations we had in the media. Yes, we'd love to and be a part of it and, and working with the core within the Wayne County crew and the people we've relied on and learned from both within the county and out of county. And we have a very unique opportunity to sort of be the stewards of an important culture and a group of women and men whose shared intentionality is just such top notch and such of a high moral standard. And you and I have been given the privilege to, to lead that for the next three years and yep. important work we're going to get to do together. And I'm so excited for that to continue. It'll be a ton of fun. Well, wonderful. All right, Adam, all, all the best for a great summer. Um, obviously we'll be in touch and talk quite a bit, but whatever you guys need, let me know. Absolutely. To you and the Wake family as well. Thanks, Cole. I so enjoy having friends around the campfire. Not only do we get to learn a lot from their experience and their wisdom, but I also get to know my friend at a deeper level. And it's so satisfying. It's so much fun. I'm at camp right now, and today we actually refurbished our campfire circle. Having listened to the lessons learned by Adam and then working on our actual campfire made this summer feel both very real and even more important. One of the things I've heard Adam say quite a bit is that we're all better together. I couldn't agree more, especially this past year of separation. Adam uses the phrase in the vein of working together. The fellowship and sharing in the Wayne County Camp Alliance does this incredibly well, and his drumbeat on working together has led to great preparation for a safe and happy summer for all of us. But his phrase also goes the idea of bringing our communities back together. While some of us have been able to go back to school and connect with friends and do other things over the past year, most of us have not. Getting everyone back to camp and back around the campfire, whether it's here or there or anywhere, man, we're all certainly going to be better off together. And I don't know about y'all, but I can't wait. Thanks for taking the time to listen. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I hope you'll leave a five-star review on whichever service you're using. The better the reviews, the more these ideas will spread. And please share it with a friend. Our campfire circle is big enough for everyone. Until we speak again, do good and be good. Thanks again to our friends at Scope for sponsoring the Campfire Conversation podcast. 
SCOPE stands for Summer Camp Opportunities Promote Education. They provide children from underserved communities with life-changing opportunities through the experience of summer camp. SCOPE campers benefit from a positive, safe, and healthy environment led by excellent role models who give them the chance to develop their full potential. We both believe that summer camp reinforces what children learn in school and enhances overall academic learning. If you would like to help give some wonderful children a life-changing experience, I hope you'll join me in supporting SCOPE. You can find them online at scopeusa.org and on social media at support SCOPE.